Several years ago, um, Tyler was only two or three years old, and we have always had a bedtime routine with our children. And one of the parts of that bedtime routine is that we pray together. And so Tyler was, like I said, two or three, and we came to the part of where we're going to pray together. And so we prayed, and then after we prayed, uh, I would go through this little thing where I would remind him how loved he was, how loved he is. And uh, I would say, Tyler, who loves you? And he'd, he'd say, well, you love me, Dad. And I'd say, well, and who else loves you? And he'd say, well, Mom loves me, and Grandma loves me, and, and Grandpa loves me. And he'd go through a whole list. And my, my goal was to try to exhaust him to figure, see if he could figure out an end to that list. And usually he couldn't. One night, I, we had gone through several names, and I said, who else loves you? And he just, he was stumped. He said, well, I love myself. And I thought that was an interesting uh, idea, because uh, loving yourself is something that's very natural to do. It's not something we have to be taught. In fact, the world reinforces this idea. When Jesus comes along... And begins to train his disciples about how to do ministry, how to live with one another, how to be a Christian, what that involves. He gets to the opposite way of thinking. That the core of discipleship is not self-love, but self-denial. And this can be a very difficult part of scripture. Uh, Even today, if you think about it, the world tells us to love ourselves, to accept ourselves, just listen to your heart. Uh, you'll hear that in popular media, music, television, movies. Uh, never, ever should you deny who you really are. But in fact, you should just accept that and be who... Some of you, You'll hear sometimes that creeping within the church teachings as well. Uh, Jesus was very clear when it came to following him. Uh, the first thing you had to put upon the altar... It was not a sacrifice of an animal, but indeed yourself. We're going to be talking about this idea in training of the twelve over the next three weeks. And training of the twelve is this idea that we are looking at the lessons that Jesus taught, the principles and the practices that he gave the apostles uh, as he was training them to lead and build the kingdom. And so we want to start by looking at Luke chapter 9. Verses 23 through 25. We'll read those in just a minute. Jesus had three crucial steps to becoming a disciple. I know churches of Christ, we typically think of five-step programs and things like that. But Jesus called specifically to three steps. and these Not that these are different from the the five that we think of, but um, they are more foundational. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to do these three things. Indeed, anyone who wants to come to Jesus must do these three things or you cannot be a disciple. And so it's crucial that we not only think about these three steps, but that we practice them. Uh, earlier, Christian was saying, how, you know, got everything ready for tonight. I said, yeah, this will be an easy lesson to preach. It really is. It's easy to sit up here, stand up here and tell you to deny yourself. But that's not the important part. 
The important part is the actual denying of self. So let's look now. We're in Luke chapter 9, and you're all there. And this is how Luke records it. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, step number one, and take up his cross daily, step number two, and follow me, step number three. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? You see, disciples, when they began to follow Jesus, had a very different picture of what success was going to look like. To them, success meant they were following the right rabbi. This rabbi was different. He was special. He could do miracles and he could teach like no one had ever taught. He could put the Pharisees and Sadducees in their place. He could, in their minds, overthrow Rome and they were going to make him king. And these would be the twelve at his right and his left. That was their picture, a picture of success. And Jesus, of course, had a very different picture, much different view of what successful ministry would look like. And the closer they got to the cross as they walked along together, the clearer the difference became between their picture of success and Jesus' picture of success. My father lives in a small town called Peabody, Kansas. And he's lived there for a long time. And uh, in the house, up until just a few weeks ago, he lived in for most of that time, there's a rock wall out front. And what interesting thing about that rock wall is that he built it himself. My, na- my dad is not a mason by trade. He's not uh, someone who works with stones and, and mortar and cement regularly. But as he lived in the house, he, he thought, I'd like to put a nice decorative wall And this is about, I'm going to say, 20, 25 years ago when he began. And so he began, and I can still remember, he dug the footings himself, and he had the concrete uh, brought in with a truck, and he put all the the, uh, foundation in. And he he went to a quarry, and he picked out all the rocks that he wanted. And slowly but surely, he gradually built this wall there along the south side of that house on Locust Street. Now, that wall's been done for a number of years. But what's interesting now to look at the rock wall is to see, you can tell, which end he started at. Because the end he started at, uh, the mason work wasn't as good. The joints didn't fit as tight. It wasn't quite as level. It didn't look as aesthetically pleasing. But as he went along and as he kept building and learning as he built, the wall got better and stronger. And the, the final part of the wall is much better than it was in the first part. Well, that's a lot like discipleship. In fact, that's a lot like anything. I always say the first time is the worst time. You think about anything that you do, any skill you're trying to learn, any new endeavor you're trying to partake of, the very first time you do it is probably the worst time. I remember uh, very clearly when I was a teenager, the very first time I was asked to lead a supper, a prayer at the Lord's Supper. And I was just nervous 
And I could hardly hold my Bible still as I was reading the scriptures. And I, I kind of meandered through some thoughts and I put it away and I prayed. My voice was probably squeaking and squawking. It was the worst, absolute worst time I'd ever done it. Because it's the first time. I was thinking about Carl tonight. What a great job he and all of our song leaders do in leading worship. And I imagine there was a time when they were young men, teenagers, and they were doing it for the very first time. My guess is probably the worst time that they did it as well. Denying self is the first step of becoming a disciple. And it is also the worst, hardest time, in my opinion, that you have as, as a disciple. Because you are learning in, in those very baby step kind of ways that I'm not serving me anymore. That, that I, I don't get to make decisions based on what I want to do. That I don't talk how I want to talk. That I don't watch things that I want to watch. That I don't live in ways that I want to live. In fact... I'm called to kill, to crucify, to put to death those things. This is the essence of denying yourself. Now, it is the hardest time. And I think Christians struggle most in that first step. But I do want to say to you that I think it gets easier as you go, as you go along. That as you mature in Christ, it's not a matter of age, by the way. You can be in the church 50 years and be very spiritually immature. But a person who practiced, practices daily denying themselves, it gets easier as you go along. There are two big problems with this idea of self-denial. Number one, selfishness is universal. I mean, all of you in here started out your journey in this world thinking life was pretty good. Life revolved all around you. And because in reality, for a time, it did. When you were a baby, you cried, your needs were met. It didn't matter if it was two in the morning and you were hungry. You were two in the morning and you were hungry and you would let out a whimper and your mother would come running down the hall or your father and they would, they would pull you out of bed and they would, they would give you a bottle and they would take care of that need. Now that I'm 37 years old, that doesn't happen anymore. There's a time when that comes to an end. Hopefully the sooner the better. I know many of you in here love babies, but I want to tell you a hard truth. Babies are some of the most selfish human beings on the planet. And you spend the rest of your life trying to undo that initial belief that the world revolves around you. And it is so hard because that's so ingrained with us that our self wants what it wants when it wants it. Think about on the subject of marriage. It is so hard to be married when you've got two selfish people. Each thinking, well, if only the other person would meet my needs. In fact, most of those marriages don't last very long. But when you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, a marriage is a beautiful thing. 
It's something that makes people stop and go, wow. Think about your children. Um, If they are, let's say, 18 and, and under, generally speaking, your parents give everything for you. And it's impossible for you to fully understand that until they don't anymore. All children, all babies are generally takers. So selfishness is universal. Everybody understands uh, that. The second problem is selfishness is natural. It's the... It's the thing we most naturally incline towards. You think about it, you have to be to some degree selfish if you want to survive. I mean, if you don't feed yourself and clothe yourself and and provide shelter for yourself, uh, you know, that's just part of our survival instinct. More than that, in our world system of values, we encourage selfishness within our children. We want them to step forward. We want them to speak up. We want them to be the leader. We want them to be on the the A team. We want them to be first pick. We want them to think of themselves. Why? Because we think only of themselves. So children get that, and then they begin to practice that. When you go through the normal process of a day, every part of you, every part of your day is mostly consumed with you. What you have to do, how you feel, the things you're worried about, your troubles. And the world only encourages it. If I give you an illustration, pretty simple, um, from the caterpillar's perspective. If the caterpillar only aspires to be a caterpillar, then all he has to do is focus on being a caterpillar. But if he wants to be something better, something different, if he, if he knows he's called to be something more than a caterpillar, he cannot be himself. He must die to himself. He must give up everything about himself in order to gain something far better. Well, if selfishness is so universal and it's so natural, why bother going down the path of self-denial. And admittedly, true discipleship and Christianity is tremendously hard for the world to understand. Now, there is a difference. I mean, there's a a lot of, and I'm going to put it in quotes, Christianity that doesn't talk at all about self-denial. It is only about what you want. It is all about you, baby. And that's it. And whatever the church can do to make you happy and comfortable and minister to you. And also, maybe at best, it turns out very shallow and very immature Christians. Why do we bother with self-denial? Number one, self always leads to sin. Uh, If you're following along your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, story of the fall. Uh, in, the, in the first sin, when Eve was there and she was at the fruit and she was in that moment between doing what was right, between doing what the tempter wanted her to do. We're going to look at verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> look what he says here, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, 
your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, for who? She's thinking about Adam? No, for her. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, for who? For Adam? No, for her. She took some and ate it. Sin is, is the root of all sin is the self. Only looking out after number one. In Sunday mornings, we're talking about our journey in holiness. And the, 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 that journey, the only way to go down that journey at any measure of progress is to, at some point, you have to stop thinking about yourself. I mean, think about the subjects we've talked about thus far. You know, how you dress, uh, sexuality. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, our language. We're going to talk about uh, our social activities. Okay? If all you're thinking about is you, that's going to fall on deaf ears. Second Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5, uh, there... Paul writes this to the young Timothy. He says, but mark this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And then he goes on and makes a tremendous list, which I contend, all every single thing that he lists out there, is rootedness is rooted in selfishness. But it's all rooted in people will be lovers of themselves. You think idolatry is our greatest problem today? I do. Social media, and I, I use a lot of it. But it has made the self the center of everything. Don't believe me? Teens. <clears throat> On social media, what is today? What are you supposed to do today? Oh, they were sleeping. I got them. What is it? Say it again. Say it again. They can't hear you and they don't know what it means. Do it again. Selfie Sunday. Selfie Sunday. This is what we do on Sunday. On Sunday, everybody who's anybody is supposed to take their phone and go and put a selfie on there. This is the latest, greatest invention. This is a selfie stick. Some guy or gal made a kajillion dollars because people's arms weren't long enough to take a picture of themselves. Is this a great country or what? Selfie Sunday. Take the selfie. Be the selfie. Use the selfie stick. People will be lovers of themselves. And I'm not chastising you guys because we've all done it, you know. But what do you focus on when you put that picture up? Oh, does it look right? Is the it, is it, is it filter right? Does it look good? Okay, I'll post it. All right, how many people like it? Do the people that I like like it? And what are you thinking about? You're always thinking about you. 
people will be lovers of themselves. Be careful with that. It's something uh, our world hasn't ever faced as dramatically as we face it today. Number two, selflessness, the opposite of that, leads to discipleship. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, if you're following along. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus wasn't thinking about selfies on Sunday. Jesus was thinking about sacrifice. And not just on Sunday. Every day. And, and just when, when you think about this, when I think about the culture of Northside, this, in my mind, without being braggadocious, is what makes Northside great. Because we have so many dedicated folks who are willing to continually deny themselves, deny what they would want to do, and serve other people. Looking at Cheryl Lahari and her team that does Wednesday night meals and work camp and funeral meals. I'm thinking about Senior Sunday and the parent team that, that works so hard to make their graduation a special, unique event. Just tonight, the kindergarten graduation. Uh, not just the people who help with that, but that Stacy and Mary, week in, week out, Sunday and Wednesday, teach and give of themselves. Why? Because teaching kindergartners is a fun, easy, exciting experience. Norma can probably tell you there's not a line of people ready to take on that job, but they do it because they're denying themselves. Step study. We announced that. That the whole deal of step study, if you're not, you know, basically it goes through studying the Beatitudes, but you take the mess that you've been through and you turn it into not a, it's not a group where you get around and talk about, woe is me, and oh, look, look, you've got a bad story, well, listen to my story. That's not what it's about at all. It's about taking your mess and letting God turning it into a message and a ministry. They don't sit around thinking, all right, Boy, this is a, I've been through some horrible stuff. I just got, want you guys to just sit around and listen to me. That's not what they do. They say, okay, that's, that's what you've been through, but how can God use that for good? We talk about prayer pals. Why do people that are good prayer pals do that? Because they know investing in someone else. Jim Weathers was, was Tyler's prayer pal this year. And he did a great job. Hope he'll continue to do it. Uh, but he would drive, you know, he lives as far east as we do west. I mean, between the Weathers house and the Levering's house is sin. That's east from the west is how far we are separated. He would drive all the way across town, and he did this on more than one occasion, have lunch with Tyler and, and pick up Tyler from swimming lessons and engage. Why did he do that? Because he loves spending gas money and all of that? No. Does he understand the value of a, of a Christian male mentor pouring into the life of a young man? Now, let me go to the converse of that. Why don't people sign up to be Bible class teachers? Why will Steve has to have to ask two or three times for prayer pals? 
Why will Cheryl wonder if she'll have enough help on Wednesday nights? Because people are selfish. We have to fight against it even in the church. We have to fight against it even of ourselves. And I'm not absolving myself of any guilt. There have been many times that I don't want to go. And Christy says, you have to go. Because you're the minister. We have to work continually to deny ourselves. And when we do, we not only walk away from sin, we walk toward true discipleship. Um, right before we started tonight, I'm sure all of you were there, the teens were FaceTiming with Joshua Oakley. What a beautiful picture of what the body is supposed to be all about and how we put others before ourselves. That sounds like Philippians chapter 2. These are the people who make it. On my, in my office, there's a wall of pictures, all the graduates who've come through the youth ministry. And I look at that wall often now because there's a lot of pictures on it. And I wonder, sometimes I'll pray through the pictures, and sometimes I pray over a picture and I know how that kid's doing, and sometimes I pray over a picture and I have no idea. And some people look at that whole wall and go, who makes it, who doesn't? I'm not sure if I have an exact theory, but part of it comes down to the teens who learned or their parents taught them that it's not about you. When they learn that, you've got the key to discipleship. It's about what God wants. And it's about putting others' needs before your own. When you become a part of a church in later years, it's, you're going to go, you're going to leave the youth ministry, and guess what? There's not going to be a Mike Ward there anymore. There's not going to be someone to teach a class. There's not going to lead someone to plan activities and do things. Do you know what? Do you know why that is? Because you're supposed to be mature and ready to lead and ready to serve. That's what we want to do at Northside. And regardless of where you go to church, we hope that's what you do. Where you focus not just about, <clears throat> where you focus on serving others instead of now being served. When you show gratitude instead of waiting to be thanked. When you go the extra mile and say, instead of saying, what's the bare minimum I have to do here? When you go to feeding instead of being fed. When you go to leading where leadership is needed. You can deny yourself and not be a disciple of Jesus, but you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Now listen to me. Hear me now. I don't care if you're baptized or not. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without denying yourself. I want to finish out by turning to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at the lessons, hopefully, that they carried with them, the disciples, and uh, then hopefully that should bring to mind lessons for our own calling and what Jesus had in mind. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 5. And then we'll think about what they had to deny, what they left behind, and why it matters. Okay? So read with me quietly to yourself. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God... He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen 
who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore, where he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they began and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. We read through this story and we realize several things. One, they had to deny their experience and expertise. They were professional fishermen, not rabbis. Number two, verse five says they had to deny their physical exhaustion. They, were, they had pulled a double shift. They'd been working all night. They were tired. They were washing the nets. Time to load up. Time to go home and get some shut eye. Number three, they had to deny their personal reason and experience. And they knew reasonably more about fishing. They were in business together, and yet they denied that experience and their own personal reasoning. I'm not against reason in and of itself, but this tells us something about being a disciple. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do things that don't make logical sense. And we deny that and we go, okay, but because you say so. Number four, they had to deny their resistance to a holy call. When Peter saw this miracle, his reaction was fear. Because if this guy can do that miracle, he probably knows all the bad stories and bad jokes and foul words I've been saying while we've been out there fishing. Get away from me. I am not the guy you want. Number five, they had to deny their own sins, excuses, and imperfections. Number six, they had to deny their fears. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. I think that's the reason that we worry most about or, or that we fail to submit and obey more than anything has to do with fear. Number seven, they had to deny, deny their family business. This was a, a way not only of making money, providing for themselves. And number eight, they had to deny their dream, their plans, their aspirations. But if they had not denied those things, if, if they had only followed themselves instead of Jesus, they would have stayed fishermen and tax collectors, and we wouldn't be talking about them 2,000 years later. What did they leave behind? Verse 11 tells us. They left behind everything. And to be able to do that, you have to be able, you have to have the attitude of denying myself. 
They left everything, and that's why it matters. Because of the kingdom. Because of the eternal difference that was made from those 11 that went out from where they were and left behind who they thought they were in order to become something far better. Peter was a fisherman. He became a fisher of men. John the Apostle went from an aggressive apostle to being the the agape apostle, the, the apostle of love. Matthew went from levying taxes to leaving behind everything and paying anyone that he owed. Thomas the doubter became Thomas the darer when he said, let us go that we may die with him also. The only person that listened to himself, that stayed true to himself, that did exactly what his self wanted, who was it? Judas. And we know how that story ended up. It's very important that as we understand denying ourselves, we understand that it is complete surrender to Christ and a decision of the will to obey His will above our own. And whatever we have to give up, whatever it costs you, Jesus said, it costs you the whole world. It's not worth your soul. Think of the converse of that. If you gain your soul in eternity, will it matter if you gave up the whole world? One second in eternity. When you close your eyes into the final eternal sleep and you step on to that eternal shore for one second, it will be worth everything that you gave up. That you were called to leave behind. I don't think the apostles looked back with nostalgia over their days of cleaning nets and and scaling fish. They remembered who they were and who Jesus had called them to leave behind so that they could become something far better. So my application is simply one thing. Don't settle for being a caterpillar. Aspire to be the butterfly. Now that will be a painful process. It very much will be. But it will be far better than you could ever imagine. And next week, we'll look at taking up your cross. And we're going to look specifically at Luke's uh, scripture, which says to take it up daily. Now, tonight, be remiss on doing a a lesson on self-denial. If I didn't give you the gospel invitation, which Jesus gave to all, that Jesus gave to his own apostles, which was simply this. Four words. Come and follow me. That invitation is open all the time until eternity begins or until your life ends. If you have not accepted the invitation, come. And follow him as together we sing.